Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life. And I get to expand your life today with another fantastic guest, Jerry Barrowman. He's probably best known for his books. Um, Jerry, you've published 17? 17 published. 17 published books, and you've written a lot more than that. Well, that's the hard part about being a writer, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> yes, you have, and I've learned that as well. Uh, your books have been, have been very popular. Um, you've, you've seen some success with that. You're coming from the finance and insurance industry. And that's kind of an interesting mix. So my writing is a hobby. I write historical biography, co-authored biography, and historical fiction. And I just love it. Yeah. So people are always ask me, why don't you write a book about life insurance or about the industry? And I go, because then it wouldn't be a hobby. That wouldn't be fun. That's not a hobby. That's, uh, that's work. So... I do have this dual nature that I've really, it's really enriched my life. I've got mm. to meet interesting people, help some very, very good people put a story out into the world that is inspiring. And had they yes. not met me and had they not worked with me, these are mostly World War II veterans. I wrote a book called uh, Beyond the Call of Duty with Bernie Fisher, who uh, was a career Air Force colonel. He won the Medal of Honor in Vietnam. Oh, wow. Bernie's story would be extinguished, but now it will live forever. As you've helped him to capture it and share it. Right. In, in a, a way that resonates way. with people. Yes. The thing that's really interesting about a book, Paul, is years ago uh, when I was newly married, I was visiting my parents-in-law, and there was a book on the shelf called Papa Married a Mormon. Mm. And it was this great story from the Old West where... A girl grew up with a dad who was not a Mormon, and her mother was, and she talked about what it was like to live in central Utah. At any rate, I was just loving the book. And as I looked at the copyright, I realized I was reading it exactly 100 years after it was written. Oh, wow. And so the thought that you can create something as a writer that will inspire someone who isn't even yet born, what an amazing opportunity that is. Right. Jerry, you shared something with me recently that has kind of stuck with me. Um, and you've you've been a speaker as well. Yes. In fact, you've done that professionally for your whole career, and you're you're now uh, shifting the focus of that since you've been in the finance and insurance industry all these years to more of a shall I say a, a personal development sure. sort of a focus. Um, and you, you shared with me that one of the messages that has had the most traction was when you talked about the most powerful communication device in the world. Yeah. And isn't it wonderful? We were chatting before the show about podcasting and about YouTube and all of the amazing technology that we have. So you've put together this message about the most powerful device. Tell us about that. Well... 
So I've one time I saw Robin Williams on TV. I think mm-hmm. it was Johnny Carson who said, "So you do serious drama as an actor, and then you do comedy, and no one did comedy better, as far as I'm concerned." Mm. He said, "If you had to choose between one of the, or the other, which would you choose?" And Robin Williams said, "Well, I couldn't possibly make." Johnny said, "No, no, you got to choose." And Robin Williams looked at him and said, "I honestly couldn't choose because they're such an important part of my life." Well, I've right. always thought if I had to choose between a career in financial services where I've helped people put life insurance protection in place, take care of their families. I paid a death claim just a year ago that kept a business together. Wow. Um, that is very meaningful to me. But then I write these stories about people like Bernie Fisher or Joe Banks who was shot down, taken prisoner of war in World War II and, and had these miraculous experiences that preserved his life. Mm-hmm. And that story has inspired hundreds of thousands of people. One person wrote me a story after reading Joe's book. Um, Joe, his life was literally saved by a miracle. And, uh, and he just suffered terribly because as a prisoner of war, he was forced on a 500-mile march in the dead of winter, 1944-45, the worst, coldest winter on record in Europe mm. and Joe and his his other American prisoners were exposed well a fellow wrote to me and he said I, I want to thank you for helping Joe Banks write his story he said earlier this week I had resolved to take my own life oh wow he said but when I read about Joe and how God remembered him in the middle of war torn Germany he said, the thought struck me that maybe he can remember me. Mm. Now, what is the value of that letter and that experience? And it was Joe Banks. Joe was an, a, a remarkable person whose faith was unshakable, and he's now gone. Right. But his story will live forever. Yes. Because we were able to turn it into a book. So how could I choose? Helping families with finance helping families with stories like this. And what I finally realized is the thing that everything has in common is stories. That's it. So the way that I tell, um, the way that I have been successful in a financial career is that I understand the products inside and out. I do a thorough analysis with the clients so I understand their needs and desires. I show them a solution that is always mathematically based. Because in mm-hmm. finance, it's always based it's on a dollar. It's all data, right? It's a dollar. It's how many dollars do you it's need numbers. today? How many do you need in the future? What happens if you die? Mm-hmm. But then there are always stories that will help people understand how it's worked in the lives of real people. And it's the stories right. that cause people to take action because they connect emotionally with the solution. And so in my mind, to be a storyteller is the most powerful way of communicating with people there is. Hence, a story is the most powerful communication device in the world. So I put together Mm -hmm. a presentation. I hope to take it out on the road a bit and start sharing that with professionals in business because sometimes people are almost embarrassed. Like, well, I I don't want to come across as sappy by telling a story. I, I was just in Phoenix about four weeks ago. Two doctors were meeting with an agent of ours down there, and we were trying to explain sort of a technical concept and... And the other agent I was working with is very, very uh, analytical. Mm -hmm. And I said, 
would you mind if I told you a story that will maybe help you understand how this product works? And, uh, and my agent sort of bristled like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to me, this um, lady doctor who's very successful in her career said, I love stories. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to tell me that story. Mm-hmm. So he calmed down a little bit. I don't know if you want me to tell you the story. Uh, but it was... Well, you have to now. Well, okay. So here is the story. <laughs> You're I, a storyteller, Jerry. I, ha- I have some clients in, uh, in Santa Cruz, Utah, who have lots of apple orchards. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely successful. They were trying to decide whether they should buy a life insurance policy, Roth IRA. We were talking about all these financial things. Right. And I said, so let's talk about tax. So I said, suppose the government came to you with this offer, Paul. If you're going to plant a new 1,000 acres, we'll allow you to deduct the cost of the trees and the cost of planting those trees. But when mm-hmm. they become mature, you'll pay tax on all the fruit that's harvested for as long as that orchard's productive. Mm. The second choice is, is you can give up the deduction on the planting of the trees, but all the fruit that is harvested will be completely tax-free. Mm. Now, which of those two would you choose? Hmm. And this client said, well, tax-free on the fruit, because that's going to be a much larger number right. that we don't have to pay tax. And I said, that's a Roth IRA, or that's a life insurance policy that provides income in retirement, and that's how it works. Yeah. And the client goes, I oh. get it. Yeah. Ah, see, the so, lights go on. So do you see how a story influences a, a person's ability to understand a complex situation? Right. So that's what I am, a storyteller. Well, you've heard uh, probably the phrase that facts tell, stories sell. Yeah. Have you heard that before? I have heard that. And that's what you're talking about because that's what connects it to that person's emotional core. And every decision we make is an emotional decision. It is. Is that, You know what? I was doing a training for some financial professionals once, uh-huh. and I got challenged on that. Guy in the front row, he says, no, Dr. Paul, I make my decisions based on the facts, the data, the numbers, right? Okay. And I said, oh, well, I'm intrigued. So how do you know when you've got it right? Well, I just feel that, what? (laughs) And you had it. (laughs) I'm satisfied that, what? See, these are feelings. Right. These are emotions. When your heart tells you. That your head's got it right, you'll make a decision. Well, you'll so move on it. So the most recent book that I've written, and I don't know if after the break we can get more into that. Maybe mm-hmm. some of the wonderful stories. Um, it's fifteen true stories out of history about people who act against their own interest in the middle of war. This is your compassionate it's, soldier. Yeah, it's called book. compassionate soldier, published nationally right. by Shadow Mountain. And, and I was asked to write this book. There's only been two that I've ever been asked to write. Most of the mm. time I come up with an idea, I write the complete manuscript, send it off, knock on wood, say my prayers. Try to sell it to Live somebody. in agony until yeah. I get a, an answer. But this one I was actually asked by Shadow Mountain to, uh, to write the book. But the idea is, is that in something as awful as war, is there good people who are able to maintain their humanity? Mm. And, and these 15 stories show that that is possible. And so, so I think that these are stories that resonate with people across time. And the reason these people are worth having their stories preserved is because 
Well, it really gets to the heart of what you do. Mm. And, and that's why I was really glad to be invited on the podcast, because it talks about how you will think about how the other person feels. And it's not about me, it's about them. Yeah. So, Which, interestingly enough, is the very best way to get what you want. Exactly. Helping other people. So let me tell you a quick story. Get what they want. From the book, okay? Yeah, please. It's called Herr Rosenau and Alex Lurie. And so here's a true story. It's World War I. America comes into World War I very late in the war. We mm-hmm. didn't really start fighting until late 1917, and the war ended in 1918. So Americans were really only involved for about nine months. Mm. But it was a crucial intervention because when America came in, we had the capacity to bring three to five million soldiers onto the field. Up to that point, it had been a stalemate. France and England's total number of young men equal Germany's younger total number of young men. Mm. And so quite literally, it was like an arm wrestle that no one could win. Yeah. So this war had stretched on more than 10 million lives lost, and now America comes in, and the Germans understood that there were now more on the other side. They're they were going to lose the war. Yeah. So a young man from America um, by the name of Alex Lurie was a Jewish fellow from uh, Minnesota. Well, he comes to a town near the Rhine River in, in uh, Germany. It may have been in France at the time. That part of the world mm-hmm. goes back and forth. It's a Saturday night. It's the Sabbath. And he wants to worship. So in his American uniform, he goes to a local Jewish congregation. Well, the Americans were not popular because they were the ones who were defeating Germany. Right. And so most of the people were... Um, you know, we're sort of standoffish. Sure. But one fellow named Rosenau, they don't, we don't even know his first name, comes up and welcomes him and invites him to dinner. So he goes to their home and has a wonderful Sabbath dinner with his family. And it was just sort of a bright spot in the middle of a, a mm-hmm. dark time for this young mm-hmm. American who is away from home. War ends, he goes home. He writes a letter and sends it off, doesn't know enough to, other than to say, Herr Rosenau in the town. And he never hears from them. Hmm. Fast forward almost 20 years. The Jews are under extreme persecution by the Nazis. They're beginning to realize that their situation is precarious. One day, a little boy is playing in his grandfather's office, and he finds this old letter that's never been opened. And it's the grandson of Rosenau. Wow. So they open the letter, and here's this very nice letter from this American saying, thank you so much for having such a great impact in my life. The daughter goes down to the father and says, what is this? And he says, do you remember? And she'd actually been part of the dinner. So with no more than that, she writes a letter to Alex Lurie, uh, Duluth, Minnesota. Sends it off. Well, there's no chance it'll be found. Duluth had about half a million people. Sure. Except that Alex Lurie owned a large furniture store, and so everybody in town knew who yeah, Alex who Lurie was. was. So the letter gets to him, and she essentially says, I have no right to ask this of you, but we would, we would really like to immigrate to America because we feel our situation here is very dangerous. Oh, yeah. Alex Lurie immediately writes back and says, I will sponsor you and your family. Wow. They moved to America, first the daughter and her family, and then the grandfather. 
all of their relatives were murdered by the Nazis. Oh. This yeah. one act of kindness wow. in the middle of the war to take a young man who everyone else is sort of shunning ended up saving that family's life. Yes. Is that not the perfect example? So compelling. Yes. That's why. Okay, so that makes me emotional. Oh, I love that. Jerry, you've set this up so beautifully. When we come back from this break, let's let's get into some of the other principles that okay. you've identified through this. This is Jerry Barrowman at Live On Purpose Radio. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to Live On Purpose Radio. We're so glad to have you here. Please come by the website, drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R, drpauljenkins.com. On the website, you'll have an opportunity to receive a free download. And while you're there, make sure you click on the social media icons. Come over to Facebook, where we will be posting these episodes as well as our YouTube videos and other content and announcements for you to share. Please like us, comment, subscribe, join the conversation. We're happy to have you with us here at Live On Purpose Radio. Let's all support each other to live on purpose. DrPaulJenkins.com And we're back. Jerry Barrowman at Live On Purpose Radio today. Jerry, it's such an honor to have you here on the podcast I'm I'm thinking as you have gotten into these stories, you you shared one just before the break, um, that I think is an excellent example of how how these small acts of kindness kindness can make a difference. But the way that they're preserved is through the stories. Exactly right. Yeah. So you are a storyteller. I I am a storyteller. That's what your whole career has been. You thought you were in financial and and, uh, and insurance. Author, but it's really about telling stories. All of it is. Yeah. All of it is. That's where people get the emotional connection to a principle, and it's the principles that can change lives or save lives, as mm-hmm. in the story that you shared. So let's tell another story. And that this, brings up another story. And Beautiful. This, and this is a contemporary story. Okay. So two wonderful people down in Cedar City, Utah, Charles and Donna Cooley, had both been instructors at um, SUU, Southern Utah University, Mm -hmm. and they retired. And Charles had been looking forward to it for years, and he was bored silly. Mm -hmm. So he loved to work with wood, so he started carving out wooden toys, um, and then Donna would paint them, and they started donating these toys to local hospitals. Mm-hmm. So if there were children who were hurt or trying to recover, they'd have something that they could play with that was safe and in that environment. Sure. Well, pretty soon all the local hospitals were taking everything they could make. And then mm. Charles happened to be in Salt Lake City and, and dropped by Primary Children's Hospital to give a few, and pretty soon Primary Children's was saying, our, our kids love these things. So now Charles and Don are doing as much as they can, so they start inviting friends to help them try to keep up with the demand. Charles actually invented some wooden toys that severely autistic children or children who had, had you know, some sort of damage and were not communicative, uh, like a little shovel that they could sit on and they could mm. manipulate it in such a way that 
they began to get back their the use of their oh. limbs and a, and many a would start to talk. Kind of a toy. Yeah. So they started what was called a happy factory. And the happy factory is active and working today. They've now given out more than a million toys. Wow. All around the world. So there are toys that are it's all made with donated labor, with donated materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just an awesome thing. Well, somewhere along the way, someone said, we'd like to send toys to our soldiers in Iraq that they can give to Iraqi children who have been harmed in the war. Right. And, and it was just somebody who said, you know, Donna, could you, could you give us a, a bag, some toys that we could send to our son who's over there? Mm-hmm. Well, pretty soon this is, is really there. So now I'd like to read a letter. Okay. So it says, uh, this is from the book, Compassionate Soldier. Um, Bill's aunt and uncle passed along this message story to Charles and Donna Cooley. Our nephew who is serving in Iraq shared a very touching story. The last patrol they were on, they investigated a safe house used by the enemy. It had been destroyed by the enemy before they left. The insurgents left behind a mother and her young son in the rubble, both with terrible wounds. Our nephew Bill said that the little boy had most of his cheek and jaw missing. He said what was eerie was that the child never cried but just looked terrified. So while they waited for the medics, Bill gave this little boy the last toy he had with him. He said for as much as this suffering child could move his face, Bill knew that he was smiling. He kept hugging Bill and wouldn't let him go, even when the medics arrived. Bill said the little fellow just clutched the toy to his chest. Other than the tattered clothes on his back, he was pretty sure this was the only possession this this child had. So Bill passes on a thousand thank yous uh, to the toy people from Cedar City, Utah. Isn't that something? Um, Hmm. Another story, and this is how I end this chapter. So there's 15 true stories in the book, Mm -hmm. um, and they're all just wonderful. So that's the beginning story. Here's the ending story. I received a phone call from my grandson who is serving in Iraq. He said that shortly after they left their base a few days early, they encountered a little girl sitting in the middle of the road. She wouldn't move at our approach, so we we got out to talk with her. She pointed to a spot in the road where the dirt had been disturbed. When we checked it out, we found that a landmine had been placed there. This allowed us to remove it safely before it hurt anyone, particularly we Americans. It turns out that the little girl had watched some insurgents place it there the night before, and she knew that it was intended to hurt Americans. While she was talking with us, she was holding a Happy Factory toy tightly in her hands. She said that the Americans had given her the toy, and so she liked the Americans and didn't want them to get hurt. That's why she was sitting in the middle of the road. Wow. Cast your bread upon the water, and it shall come back to you. It gives me tingles, Jerry. It does, doesn't it? Isn't that yeah. something? Yeah. So I love that. So uh, my very first novel was called Till the Boys Come Home. It was about two kids who grew up in Pocatello, Idaho, where I grew up, mm-hmm. who go off to war. Um, and war is hard. But you really become connected with the characters. Well, this did very well in the LDS-specific market, mm-hmm. but I thought maybe it could go national. So I sent it to Shadow Mountain, which is a national publisher, and Chris Schobinger, who is one of their senior managers, uh, got back to me and says, you know, we feel like it sort of had its play, but but we're sort of interested in, in writing a book about 
people who act with compassion in war. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested in doing that? And I go, well, that would be great. But I had a full-time job, and I was already working on another novel. And, and I said, yeah, sure, consider me for that. So two weeks later, he writes me an email, and he says, so, Jerry, how are you coming with the outline for this book? Ah. Oh, I said, he's really serious about so this. So you really are serious. So I got pretty serious, and I started finding stories, and, uh, and that's what led to the publication of the book. So it was really Chris's inspiration. Yeah. The thing that's really cool that just barely happened is um, I received a call from uh, Blanche Linton, who a remarkably energetic woman, who's on the board, the Utah board of the Freedoms Foundation at Valley Forge. The Freedoms mm. Foundation was established by uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. He was the first recipient of the George Mental. George Washington Medal of Honor from the Freedoms Foundation, but it was designed to be an educational institution to help people preserve and cherish freedom. Yes. So there's chapters in all 50 states, there's national awards. Well, Donna had read this book and she wanted to nominate it for Mm. a national award. So she did an extensive workup on it. She interviewed me, she interviewed people who had read it, she cited stories, and she submitted that. And and I was declared a winner of the George Washington Medal of Honor wow. by the Freedoms Foundation at Valley Forge, um, which was awarded just recently. And Marcel and I were out of the country. So Chris Schobinger was able to receive it on my behalf. There were almost 500 people at the ceremony, wow. three other recipients. And it's because people love stories. Right. Stories that touch them. And I think the common element there, Jerry, tell me if, if this resonates with you, is that there's a principle like compassion, for example. You've labeled this book or titled it Compassionate Soldier. Yeah. Uh, those might seem like an oxymoron to put those two words together because you think of soldiers, you think battle, you think warrior, you think death and destruction, perhaps. Right. But you can also think protection, and you can think freedom, and you can think compassion. These men and women are giving everything. For what purpose? Well, these are young men and women who grow up as our children, our brothers, our sisters, right. our mom, our dad. These are people. They happen to be people. And, and they take their humanity with them. Now, right. military often tries to take humanity away so that I can do things that are required. Sure. Killing people, blowing up. Inter- so it's wonderful to think that, that humanity survives in that. And that's actually one of the most interesting things about the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, is the American military has been put in a new role where we have a long-term occupation. Mm. where learning to work with the local people is actually as important to winning the war as the military battles themselves. Right. So we're really fighting for the hearts of of men. You wouldn't think of that as a tactical skill, but really compassion and love and empathy. So there's another story about a fellow from here in Utah, Sean McKinnon, and his experience in Iraq and how becoming close to the locals was really crucial to the mission of the war. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so I was at a recent presentation that you spoke at where you talk about your, your four-part grid. If I'm thinking about me and about how I feel, 
Mm-hmm. I will inevitably become self-conscious and inefficient. If I'm thinking about you, but how I feel, I will begin to feel criticism. Yeah. The only way to have a full life is to think about other people and how they feel. I was very moved right. by that. And I think it's a, a perfect model. And as I think of the 17 books that I've written, mm-hmm. all of which are inspirational in nature, it's always because someone is following your model. So, so my guess mm. is, is that it's not that you invented a model and that we plug ourselves into it. My the thought model was, is your not way mine, of, Jerry. It's your model is your way of understanding the world and how right. people deal with it. And the best life is one where we end up thinking about other people and trying to step into their shoes and figuring out how to help them. And then, as you say, that's an abundance model that inevitably it works in our best interest. So many stories and examples. You've shared many of those in this Compassionate Soldier book and some of your other writings as well. Um, How can people get in touch with you? Obviously, they can find you online or in the bookstore. Jerry Barrowman, Compassionate Soldier, they can find that. They so, might want to connect with you a little more closely. Where, where's the best place? www.jerryborrowman.com. There's a link there that people can send me emails. I always respond. So any tricky things the about the spelling? Jerry Borrowman at gmail <laughs> or at uh, jerryborrowman.com. Yeah. So it's really just the way you'd expect to spell. Straightforward. Jerry Borrow Man, as if you're going there to borrow go. a man, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear from people. That'd be great. Wonderful. And you're available to speak and share this message in this in the spoken format as well. I would love to do that. Conferences, keynotes, you do all of that. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. You're a storyteller, Jerry. Great to be with you. And it's been a it's been a neat experience having you share some of that here at Live on Purpose Radio today. Okay, folks. I hope that as you've felt something through Jerry's stories. Uh, The whole purpose of it is to move us to some kind of action. And the principles that you can apply are are the same principles that, Jerry, you've identified in your stories. Um, Do something about what you feel inclined to do as a result of this conversation today. Jerry, thanks for being here. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Paul. Everybody, this is Jerry Barrowman at Live On Purpose Radio. It's time for you now to go out and live on purpose.